read. We'll go ahead and start with verse 9 and go down to verse 20. Like I said, we'll finish this up today. Verse 9, he says, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. In our series of things we believe that I've been doing for a little while, we've come to the doctrines of grace, the tulip doctrines, nicknamed the five points of Calvinism in the religious world. Although, as we've pointed out, these doctrines, this system existed, even though it wasn't laid down as a system, uh, these these truths existed long before Calvin, long before Luther. They existed even before Paul. As we've pointed out, Paul here is quoting from the Old Testament, The doctrine of total depravity, this is my fourth sermon going through Romans chapter 3, really laying down the foundation because as J.C. Ryle put it, there are very few errors and false doctrines which the beginning may not be traced up to unsound views about the corruption of human nature. Wrong views of the disease will always bring with them wrong views of the remedy. Wrong views of the corruption of human nature will always carry with them wrong views of the grand antidote and cure of that corruption. We live in an area where the influence of the Wesleys has impacted the religious world in a great way. And by great, I don't mean in a fantastic way. I don't mean in a, in a way in which we should rejoice. Uh, I mean, Arminianism has taken root in a lot of places. There are churches in and pulpits in South Georgia uh, where pastors aren't free to, to preach the doctrines of grace, even though they may believe these things, they're not, they don't have the liberty to preach these things because they know if they do, they'll get kicked out. It's not kindness, but a horrible crime to hide a criminal from sentence that is coming unless he changes his way. It's cruel to hide cancer from a patient who is sick but could find 
treatment of the disease. And it's rebellion against God not to warn someone of the judgment to come because of the path that they're on. But what's going on in many churches and in many pulpits is exactly what Paul warned Timothy would happen in in his letter there in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5. This is what he says here. He says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For, he says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. And so, those places where people stop their ears when they hear something about the five points of Calvinism or they hear the tulip doctrine or they hear the doctrines of grace and they don't want to hear it, they're actually they're actually proving that the Bible is true. The time has come when folks will not endure sound doctrine, but they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Talk to us smooth things. What's one of the hard things about the doctrines of grace? One of the hard things about the doctrines of grace is that God is the hero and man is a zero. And that's tough on the human nature. Man would rather hear that he is in charge. Man would rather hear that God is the co-pilot. Man would rather hear that Jesus did all he could do, and now it's up to me. Man would rather hear that the devil, or rather that God made a vote for you, and the devil made a vote against you, and now it's all up to you. That's the kind of stuff that people would rather hear. But try finding that in the Bible. You see. But, it is very hard to preach through the Scriptures. To preach through the Word and not come face to face with these precious doctrines. And so it is encouraging to know that even in churches where traditionally the doctrines of grace have not been preached, there is a, a, a rebirth, if you will, of, of expository type preaching. And men are getting up in the pulpit and preaching through books similar to what's happening here. And even though they may not use the terminology, doctrines of grace, they may not use the terminology of tulip. They may not use the terminology of Calvinism. They're being fed those things. Why? Because they're biblical, you see. They're biblical. Indeed, as I mentioned before, I preached through Romans chapter 3. Romans, uh, sorry, the book of Romans. 
I made it up to about 11, I think, when I was in Mansfield, and I hit on so many doctrines. Justification, total depravity, uh, election, so on and so forth. And, um, and indeed, even chapter 9, uh, getting into uh, reprobation and some of those things. And um, it's very difficult to argue about those things when you're looking at God's Word and preaching it from the text. Well, that's kind of a final introduction on the final sermon. Uh, Pray for those men that are in hostile environments and they're trying to they're trying to uh, trying to walk a fine line and not split their churches and that sort of thing. But they believe the doctrines of grace, uh, but the churches haven't been taught those things. Some of them are very old churches. Uh, you think about churches that have been here since the 1800s and, uh, and no doubt have been taught those things in previous generations, but somehow have lost some of that because of the Wesleyan influence and all of those things. Romans chapter 3, verse 17. It's where we begin this morning. In the way of peace have they not known. Again, we're looking at not just one man's opinion about total depravity. And this is what's great about looking at it from the standpoint of the Scriptures. You want to help an Arminian friend come to the truth? You know, sure, you can, you can give him a book about the doctrines of grace. But you want to help him out even better? Take him to the Scriptures. Take him to the, the Word of God. And explain these things to him. Help him to see these things. Um, There are some books that are better than others. um, uh, That explain it. But um, but make sure your foundation is the word of God. Um, What I found is that the Arminian a lot of times will read books about. Against. The doctrines of grace. Very seldom will they study it out for themselves. Help them out so that they can study these things out for themselves. Um, and, um, and 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 if they need a book to go along with the scriptures, give them a good one. Um, a. W. Pink has written some good stuff. Uh, Tom Ross. Um, Abandoned Truth is available for free online. You know, those sorts of resources. But make sure, foundationally, you're here in the Scriptures. The way of peace have they not known. Paul is setting up this argument because human nature has not changed. You have in the church at Rome, Jews and Gentiles... Each group felt pretty good about themselves. And Paul is bringing this all together. And he's saying, the Jew has no advantage over the Gentile. We're all corrupt. We're all sons and daughters of Adam. The way of peace have they not known. And indeed, 2,000 years of human history between us and Paul has proven this to be true. It is a sad commentary on human history to see that the history of mankind and realize that even the most savage of animals, and there are some savage animals out there, they do not destroy so many of their own kind the way that we do as human beings in order to satisfy ambition, revenge, greed. And the world is littered. 
Right now, even as I speak, somewhere in the world, there are bombs going off, there are missiles crashing, there are people who probably would rather be meeting in a church like this peacefully rather than what's happening in their own backyards. And it's not just Ukraine. It's not just the Middle East. But there are wars happening all over the place. Revolutions, wars. There are, there are murders. There are gangs and violence. Our own border has problems. Border towns. All testifying to the truthfulness of this verse. When we look at our own country, and indeed our own lifetimes, it there has not been even a decade, not even a half a decade of peace in our lifetime. And, and time and time again, we've been promised this is the war to end all wars. This is the treaty that will end all wars. This is the bomb. This will do it. We'll have world peace. The United Nations, the, 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 the promises made there, and all it's done is antagonized. NATO, antagonized, and so on and so forth. It's been terrible. It's been terrible. What's the problem? The problem is human nature, you see. And the only time that we'll ever have world peace is when the King of Kings comes and sits on the throne. Then there will be world peace. But until then, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Do you know it's not just the State Department, it's not just the soldiers, it's not just the kings, it's not just the presidents, it's not just the power-hungry liberals who do not know the way of peace. Remember, this is a problem we all face, every one of us. There is a battle raging in all of our hearts. This depravity exists in all of us. And we struggle with it. Paul himself spoke of this, of this struggle in, in, in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but he talked about that. When he said, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He talked about that inward struggle. And indeed, this is what we see even in our own and it's not, it's not a physical battle, although it does manifest itself physically as seen in the wars and the battles that are fought on the battlefield. But we see it happening all across the world in and among God's people. We are descendants, as a church, we are descendants of a long line of people, church by church, all the way back to the first church at Jerusalem. In my, in my study, I have a chart, it's a trail of blood. It's hanging up there. It's a reminder of the history, where we come from. But you know, it's been a long time in this country since we've had any persecution physically. The reason it's called a trail of blood is because for most of 
the history of the Lord's churches, there's been persecutions. Where did that come from? Well, some of it came from the state. Some of it came from the pagans. But a lot of it come from people who in the name of Christ persecuted and killed God's people. That's a fact. It's, it's, it's written in history. Pick up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Get a copy of Martyr's Mirror and read some of those things. But you know, it's been a long time since that happened. Nobody who is alive today in this country has ever been persecuted or killed by a Catholic or Protestant. That's a fact. And I thank God for that. But what if, what if we were to write the rest of the trail for the last couple hundred years? So from the 1800s going on. We couldn't really call it a trail of blood in this country. What would it be called? I guess it would be called a trail of mud. Because instead of instead of killing and torturing one another, what's happened is we've taken mud and just started slinging at each other. And what's happened? What's happened? Because there's not been the persecutions that have happened and taken place. The way of peace they have not known. It continues, but it's gotten worse and worse to the point of you go into a town. And Carol talked about this in his book. You go into a town and you'll find different kinds of churches and you need to find the right church. And you examine through the scriptures which one is right. But nowadays, what's the problem? Nowadays, you'll not find one Baptist church in a town. You might find five, six. You might find a dozen. What happened? What happened? Well, sometimes, sometimes they divided doctrinally. And those things happen. Sometimes it's a major doctrinal difference, such as Arminianism and Calvinism. So, so one church may hold to the doctrines of grace, and another group over here holds to Arminian doctrines. And so the two don't get along. So there, there's the free will Baptists on one side and the sovereign grace Baptists on another side of town. And so those things happen. But other times, you may find two churches in the same town, and you, you look at them and you find they're very, very similar in their doctrine, in their practice. And, and maybe you examine them and maybe you go visit one and you find that they, they preach and teach the things that you believe and the things that we teach and preach here. But then you go to the other one and you find that they preach and teach the same things that we do here. And then, then you, you, you start talking to people and realize, oh, 20 years ago, they split because of the color of carpet that came in and one group disagreed with the new color of carpet and so half of them left, you see. And they don't fellowship with each other because some hard bitterness that happened. I just use that as an example, but... Sometimes those things happen. I remember in one town I was driving through, there was this post, and it had on the same street, it was in the middle of nowhere, there were cornfields everywhere. But on the same post, there were five different signs to five different Baptist churches. I don't know what happened in that town. But I, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. 
The way of peace have they not known. What does Paul say about, about these things? What does the Scripture say? Even in the book of Romans, chapter 12, look at this. In verses 16 through 21, he says, Be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So he reminds the church at Rome to... Be of the same mind one toward another, to recompense to no man evil for evil, and if it be possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. Uh, to the church at Ephesus, he wrote this uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6, he said, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in the hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through you all and in you all. And so the outline here in, in Ephesians to the church at Ephesus is, verses 1 through 3 is how to walk in spiritual unity. And verses 4 through 6 is why to walk in spiritual unity. And even as the Godhead is united, you see that in verses 4 in verse 4, you've got the Spirit. In verse 5, you've got the Lord. And in verse 6, you've got the Father. Even as the Godhead is united, even so the church is united. And endeavoring to keep the unity in the, of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Um, and then... And then in, of course, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which we've looked at before, the, the, the church of Corinth, they, had, they, they, had, they, they didn't have that peace. And they were split. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we look at that there very quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, he says there in, uh, in, in verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And so Paul, Paul here, in order to bring about his peace, he says, hey, I understand why you want to follow me. I'm a great preacher. No, that's not what he said. He said, he said, uh, is, uh, he said, 
is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified? You Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who are these men? Who are these men? You see, um, they are, uh, he told them of their divisions. Their lack of peace and unity was due to their carnality, which is another way of saying their depravity. Their depravity. He didn't set himself up as the one to solve the problems. He said, you want to find, you want to find unity, you want to find peace, find it in Christ. That's where it's at. He had, spent, he had labored at Corinth, probably more so than a lot of the other churches. I think it was somewhere like 18 months. And this young church had fallen into chaos. But he pointed them to Christ as being the great example. The one, the one uh, to look to. Where Christ and the gospel is not preeminent, the question becomes who will be? And that's what he pointed them to. The, the, the peace that they needed was to be found in Christ. But inwardly, inwardly, the way of peace they have not known. And that becomes a problem uh, spiritually. Spiritually. Now, I'm not talking about major doctrinal divisions that need to happen, but I'm talking about sometimes when people get their nose out of joint over something like carpet or, or even something... I mean, I hate to use examples because sometimes that all backfires. But in the Philippines, I heard one time that they were dividing over the head covering. Now, I believe the women ought to wear head coverings. But I don't believe that's something that the church ought to split over. You see what I'm talking about there? They agreed on 99% of everything else, but they, they divided over that. Repeat this over and over and over. Not only in the United States, but in, in places across this world. Little kingdoms of people set up because the way of peace have they not known. There is verse 18, Romans chapter 3. But again, just like with the governments of this world, one day, one day, there will be peace. Amen? There will be a time when we'll all get together and all of our differences, whether they're petty or whether they're real, one of these days, we'll all be together. In heaven... I look forward to this. In heaven, we'll all get together. We'll be around the throne of God. And there's not going to be sections. There's not going to be sections split off for this group and that group and this group. We'll all be together. Praise the Lord. And God will correct all the errors, the heresies, the wrongs of this world. Not only theirs, but also yours and mine. Because I guarantee you, as much as we'd like to think it, we ain't got it all figured out. Not yet. Not yet. I'm still learning, and, uh, and I will be till I die. One of these days I'll come face to face with the realization that I still had a lot more to learn. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, before we move on to verse 18 Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 he said blessed are the peacemakers 
for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Paul said, the way of peace they've not known. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the people, the children of God. A lot more could be said about that, but we'll move on. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is the last. Remember, there's about 14. This is the last here in this list. It's the source of all the other evils listed here. And again, it's a quote from Psalms 36, verse 1. You don't have to turn there, but it's where it comes from. Man's depravity reveals that we do not fear God in the flesh. The ways of wicked man outside of Jesus Christ proof that Man is destitute of the fear of God. And when we talk about the fear of God, I'm not talking about a, uh, uh, the fear that a slave might have for his master. I'm talking about fear meaning reverence for God, piety towards Him, or, or dread. The recklessness of man. The wickedness of man proves that they are destitute of all proper regard for God. In their actions, mankind, in the flesh, we ourselves are practical atheists. You ever stop and think about that? In our behaviors, in our flesh, we may be, we may be Christian, but in our behavior, when we sin, we are practical atheists. What a terrible thought. But it's true. We know. We know. I mean, Paul said it himself there in Romans chapter 7. He said, The good I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Verse 22 of Romans chapter 7, he said, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. There's a battle that's waging. And you think about it. We, we, we maybe go a day without reading the Bible. We sit down to eat our meal, and we don't give God the thanks for it. What is that? That's practical atheism. No fear of God. We, we like to say, look at what the world's doing, but think about our own actions. We sin before God, even knowing what the Scripture says. No wonder Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to that day when all God's people are united around the throne. You know what I'm looking for more than that? is the day when I'm with the Lord and I'm free from this body of sin and death. And, uh, and, and beyond that, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm with Jesus Christ, my Savior, face to face. What a day that'll be. What a wonderful day that'll be. My struggle daily, it's not with the brethren, it's not with the world, it's me. If you're honest with yourself, your struggle, your daily struggle, is with you. Verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The first clause is to the Jews, and the second clause to the whole world both Jew and Gentile. Where there might be boasting, the law says to shut up, you're a sinner. Where the flesh might rise up and say, hey, I can do good works to merit God's favor, the law says, but we are in all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Isaiah 64, 6. Where the flesh rises up and says, hey, this could be pretty easy. Let me just follow this command, this command, this command. The law says you break one command and you're dead. You're condemned. There's no hope. And get up this morning and say, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm start afresh. I, want to, I know I've been a failure before, but let me, just, let me just start new. And I'll keep the commandments. The law says, don't forget about what you've broken already. You're condemned already. There's no hope. When Uzzah reached out to touch the ark to prevent it from falling to the ground, to everybody else, it looked like he had good intentions. But what happened? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, you can go ahead and turn there. Verse 7, it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of, the, of God. Verse 8 says, And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. David was displeased, but David was not the judge. David was not God. God said, how dare you, Uzzah, to think for a moment that your hand is cleaner than my dirt. God said not to touch the ark. 
He didn't say, don't touch it unless it falls. He said, don't touch it. Who was Uzzah to think that his hands were cleaner than dirty ground? And said, but, but people have walked on that ground. That ground was dirty. The, the oxen and, the, and the, the horses and whatever else had, had, had done their business on that ground. Yes, Uzzah. That's a fact. But that mess down there on that ground is still cleaner than you. You think about that. Truly, the law is God's mouth stopper here, and all the world is before is guilty before Almighty God. God stands as the judge. Even when it comes to doing things out of the right out of what seems like it, good intentions and whatever, we got to make sure and consider all these things. Praise God for His grace. Praise God for His grace. Because were it not for His grace, beloved, were it not for His grace, you and I would have already been in a lot of trouble long, long ago. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And I'm glad that, that, that Paul does not end with this in verse 19, because in verse 20, he says this, he says, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay. So he's setting us up for something. He's setting us up for something big, isn't he? The law is not the answer for man's sinfulness. In fact, as I already mentioned, the law condemns. There's no hope to be found in the law. If you read through Romans, this is the conclusion drawn from the whole, beginning at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 and going all the way through. Uh, Romans 1.18 begins... His argument, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you read all the way through, and he sets this up. Jew and Gentile alike are guilty before God. The law is not the answer. Whether you're talking about the law that God gave man in his heart to the Gentiles, or even the written law that he gave to the Jews... The law is not the answer. What is the answer? Sin is universal. What is the answer? Well, as we bring this to a close, in Galatians chapter 3, So much here that I could read, but I'll pick it up at verse 22. It says, But the scripture hath concluded all understand. Uh, very similar to what we just read in Romans, isn't it? All understand. That includes you, me, Jew, and Gentile. 
that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So check this out. The law was a schoolmaster. We're all under sin. We were, we were under the law. The law says the, 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 the soul that sins, it will die. There's no hope to be found. Where do we turn? There's only one place to turn, and that's Christ. That's where the law pointed to, to Christ. In Jesus, that's where hope is. You and I who are saved, that's where we find hope and peace. There was none of that in the law. Those who are laboring under the law to try to get to heaven, they'll never find hope. They'll never find peace. They'll never find safety. They'll never find life. And ultimately, they will never find heaven. But... The same faith that Abraham had. The same faith that that Paul had. The same faith that, that we read about in the Scriptures. The same Jesus that they needed. The same Jesus we have. And indeed someday, the same heaven. We all... We all are sinners, guilty in Adam, but through Christ, through Christ, we're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Do you know Jesus today? Have you been saved? Have you repented of your sins? Turn to Him. Not tomorrow. Not next week, but today. May God add a blessing to His Word.